need to address loneliness. It is literally killing us. But more and more, the research is telling us that there are real health consequences of loneliness. There's a 29% increased risk of heart diseases. That's equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes every day. The problem is that more and more people are lonely today. In fact, it's almost one in three. We must connect to people. We must engage with people. Time and time and time and time again, it's community that saves us. My name is Rachel Abel, and this is The Missing Piece. I'm a leadership specialist and community builder at UNSW, and I'm also known as Head of Making Friends. The most important thing to me here at the uni is to make sure our 60,000 students feel connected, that they belong, they matter. In our now hyper-connected world, we're facing a loneliness epidemic which is taking a serious toll on our health and our well-being, and could be the next economic and public health crisis. Working at a university, I've come across so much research that points to community as the missing piece to helping solve this very real issue. But building community is really hard. So I thought I'd go out into the real world and interview the likely and the not so likely experts about how they build their communities. I'd like to share with you what we've learned and what the science says about how to build open and sustainable communities that boost connection and reduce loneliness. Why? We believe community really is the key to future-proofing education and also your business, our public services and personal relationships because belonging is better. Surf lifesaving is ingrained into Australian culture and is an iconic part of the Australian outdoor lifestyle. But more than anything, Surf Lifesaving Australia is an example of community building on a large scale. While there are already over 150,000 members across more than 300 local clubs, Surf Lifesaving is always looking to expand its membership. With the aim of promoting the beach as a shared space for everyone, Surf Lifesaving is in the process of trying to be more inclusive and accessible to different communities, regardless of their location or background. There's so much we can learn from a large organisation taking steps to become a more welcoming community. Today, my guest is Mike Anderson, Community Education Project Officer with Surf Lifesaving New South Wales. Mike is part of a team that wants everyone in our broader community to feel not only safe on the beach, but that they belong there. From those who live on the coast to those who've never even seen the ocean, Surf Lifesaving are attempting to build relationships that engage all kinds of communities. So welcome, Mike. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today to talk about surf lifesaving and community. Welcome to The Missing Piece. Thank you very much for having me. Pleased to be here. So it would be um, great for you to tell us a little bit about your role with surf lifesaving um, and and also a bit about potentially the, the history of surf lifesaving in New South Wales. Okay, yeah. Um, so I am the community engagement officer. Uh, I'm based at Belrose at the state office. Um, I fall into the team that is part of the learning and development team uh, amongst the portfolios in that in that head office. And we are primarily the most outward facing part of a member centric organisation. So we're 
we're dealing with members of the public quite often um, and our main focus is delivering beach and surf safety presentations and safety messages to cold communities to multicultural communities international students and those at-risk people that arrive into Australia um, that have little or no access to beach and surf safety as a rule. Just to clarify, Mike isn't referring to some communities as frosty. While it sounds like Mike is saying cold communities, he's actually talking about culled communities, meaning culturally and linguistically diverse. If, if you don't live by the coast, you haven't ever watched Bondi Rescue, um, just explain to us what the role of surf lifesaving is in that beach context. So, yeah, the role of the lifesavers that, that are on that beach that day is, is public safety, is making sure that they know where to swim, um, make sure they don't take any unnecessary risks. What we want to be is that safe and trusted resource on the beach um, and we really want to drive those people to the patrolled locations. We know that there's thousands of beaches in New South Wales that aren't patrolled um, and we know that people are going to visit those but if we can educate and help spread those safety messages far and wide and that's a big role of the community education team, um, yeah, we want to we want to be able to just help in any special way that we can. You know, we train first aiders. We know where the best coffee is. Um, <laughs> all of those things. You know, it's it's an iconic organisation, and and that's what we want to be. What we want to be seen as. Yeah, um, and as I understand it, this organisation has been around doing just that, all those different things for a long time. I mean, it's it's really part of what it means to kind of live in and around the coast of Australia. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it started in Manly and it's over 100 years old um, and it's just grown and grown to be the, the national organisation that it is. All of the different states have their own version and their offices. So, yeah, it is a big part of what Australia is about. And like you said at the start, the red and yellow is such an iconic uh, uniform and, and position on the beach that uh, the more people we can spread those messages to and make aware, especially people that aren't aware of it, um, you know, that's the focus and the volunteers that, that work so tirelessly in their local communities that are so involved in the clubs, whether it be through sport, through the Nippers programme, teaching kids and that next generation of lifesavers, um, you know, it is a big family and, and that's pretty much what drives us. That's lovely that you describe it as a big family. Is that the kind of atmosphere and the culture that you want to create within Surf Lifesaving, that it's got that kind of family community yeah, aspect massively. to it? Yeah, massively. You know, we we always want new members. We always want people to to visit their local clubs and to be a part of surf lifesaving. There, you know, you don't have to be an Olympic swimmer to be part of the organisation. There's roles for everybody, and that's a big part of what we're driving. Um, we know we have many international students, you know, here at UNSW. We'd love them to be part of surf lifesaving, whether it's they go through their bronze medallion become patrolling members or whether they just want to give their time and help save and look after local people use their their language skills perhaps to, to help deliver some of the messaging that we that we deliver um yeah we we want to wel welcome these people with open arms and it, it is definitely that that family family vibe we're really interested in how we welcome students into our community here at the university. Um, but what kind of programs do you offer then to achieve what you're talking about, which is to spread that awareness and bring sort of more education so that people are aware that they have a place 
in Surf Lifesaving Australia, maybe they could volunteer or get involved in the ways that you describe? Yeah, um, you know, a big part of what we do is O weeks. So we know that when the when the students arrive, they they've got so much more so much information to kind of to handle. But we always want to have a presence at the O weeks across across Sydney and, and other universities in the state. We want them to see that red and yellow uniform. We want them to meet lifesavers firsthand. We will be handing out information and talking to them about some really simple beach messages that would keep them safe. Um, we know that it, learning about Beach safety is probably a low priority, but it's going to be something that's high high on the priority list to do because that ultimately is one of the reasons to come to Australia is that beautiful coastline and those beautiful beaches. Um, so yeah, the, that initial point of call at O-Weeks, um, we have a good relationship with Study New South Wales. So we run a programme at the airport called the Beach Safety Advisor Programme yep. where we utilise existing volunteers that run the volunteer welcome desk. Um, once they've done an amount of training through that, we then recruit some beach safety advisors, give them a couple of days training of you know talking confidently about some beach and surf safety messages, um, and then they will assist us both at the airport greeting the incoming international students. Um, it's you know it's something that's a peer to peer program that really works. They can see something in the people that they're being greeted by. Um, and then also we invite them to be part of some of our community education events whether it was last year's the, the Lunar New Year Festival down in Darling Harbour, um, whether it's some of our beach programmes at some of our, um, our clubs in Tamarama or Wanda or Maroubra perhaps. Um, and as part of that recruitment and the talks that I give in those airport to the welcome, the welcome Desk volunteers, we encourage them to ask questions and you know, we want to drive them to be part of Surf Life Saving in the future as a, a volunteer, um, whether it be on the beach or in the club. And we want to give them that opportunity to to, to be recognised by the iconic organisation, whether it's you know through a letter from us on their CV. Um, yeah, it's yeah. it is um, it's a big part of what we do. So, for for many of those international students, you were the first faces the kind of welcome to Australia. Really, they get to see that welcome desk that you run. You're so, you're the like the face of Australia when they first arrive. Yeah, when yeah when we have those shifts running, it, it definitely yeah. is a part of that, and it's. You know, they're coming in, they're, they're apprehensive, they're nervous. And if we have one of our beach safety advisors there at the airport, yeah. they get their information about, you know, what where's the bank, where's the internet, where am I living? Do um, you hand out Vegemite samples? That no, kind of not thing quite that, no, <laughs> no, but that's something that maybe we should do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's a big part. And even if we're just handing out a leaflet for them to have a look at as they're travelling to their, you know, to their halls or to their new apartment and their new life here, um, we just we know that there's a, a gap that needs filling is getting that information to them as soon as possible. I would imagine most people have this image of surf lifesavers being, you know, incredibly fit, young, yeah. healthy. But there's a wide variety of people that kind of get involved in, in surf lifesaving. Is that right? Yeah, massively. Um, you know, we, we talked briefly about the Nippers program. There's, you know, it's for a six to 13 year old kids at the weekend. They can be part of it. They'll learn amazing uh, safety skills they get fit they make friends um there's 28,000 in the in the nippers program state oh my goodness really wow so not only is that you know encouraging those that are lucky enough to, to be able to get to the beach every weekend um that embraces the community from the kids to the parents that want to get involved with the club and that has a really positive effect throughout the community um but we yeah we want to get local communities we know that um some of the more Western 
uh, Western Sydney regions don't have that easy access to the beach, but you know we look to educate and and we're trying at the minute to to start up a volunteer program where we get members of cold and multicultural communities um, to give them some training um, and make them feel part of that extended family. It doesn't have to be at the coastline; it can be like inland and rural New South Wales too. Um, and yeah, we just want to be able to give them the opportunity to be involved in surf life saving at a local capacity. I mean, I'm from England originally, um, as as are you. Yes. Um, so, and coming to Australia, I I arrived um, with my family with two young children, and our first kind of experience, one of the first experiences of Australia, was people saying, "Oh, you know, if you want to get connected with to the community, you should sign your kids up for nippers," because there's a lot that's associated with nippers, which is around the surf club and family barbecues and all that kind of stuff as well. So we were really encouraged to do it. But I have to say that my first kind of image and the kids' first image of that was slightly horrific in that there's kind of, it feels like hundreds of kids pushing and shoving each other over in the sand as they're racing and doing all these kind of like really adventurous things. And so for people coming from a totally different background, um, that can seem a bit intimidating, I think, at first. And if your kids aren't necessarily competitive and, and don't sort of fit into that mould, feeling welcomed and part of that, um, I certainly felt that as a family kind of arriving in Australia, that was something that we found difficult to access. Um, so in, in all of the programmes that you've been looking at, is that kind of something that you're trying to change and, and, and make more welcoming? Yeah, I think with the, with the NIPAS programme, it's, again, you know, a lot of people that are accessing the activities at the weekend live live close to the beach and yeah. and certainly my wife who grew up and was part of Nippers explained it to me and you know it's just kind of ingrained to the to the coastal kids um so yeah we we understand that it you know there there needs to be some some levels of um abilities to to start off but i think yeah my all clubs would be so welcoming of of new members and yeah, it all comes back to that open arms and to that welcoming, welcoming clubs um, and just having access to, to something quite special. Why are Mike and I talking about surf life savings efforts to become more welcoming? And why has this become a priority for one of Australia's most iconic and established communities? A 2006 report by the Human Rights and Equal Opportunity Commission identified a lack of diversity of youth membership from different multicultural backgrounds as a real issue for surf lifesaving and its future growth. The Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD, recognises that engagement with hard-to-reach groups is critical if government and social institutions are to stay relevant. What's more, the United Nations acknowledges that when communities are inclusive and give everyone an opportunity to participate, we create a more equal society. Surf Lifesaving have resolved that in order to remain relevant, they need to be giving all members of the broader community a greater sense of ownership and a chance to participate. But most importantly, as the Commission observed, their new policies encourage greater harmony between all beach users and promote a culture that the beach is there to share. What strikes me about those programs is you you must really need to be connected in with lots of other different organisations and having the contacts with other organisations, so the airport, um, universities, lots of different kind of community organisations to be able to get your message out. How important is that to develop that network for you guys? Yeah, it's huge. You know, it's a big part of of 
our working week is is maintaining those those networks. Um, we have that strong relationship with the universities around Sydney. Um, we deal extensively with a lot of migrant service providers. Um, we're always looking for new opportunities to work with. But the reality is that you know people that are involved, um, if they're new migrants or refugees, don't have that access. Um, and quite often they might not speak English. So it's having that ability to to have relative and culturally sensitive content to give them and information. Um, you know, it does come back to that trusted resource that we want to that we want to be on that beach. Um, but no, networking and, and having these you know strong relationships with with people is a huge part of what we do because they're the gateway to to these local communities. Um, and what we are working on is is working closer at the grassroots. Is getting involved with organisations such as the Lebanese Muslim Association, um, you know, Advanced Diversity Services, Gamia Community Aid, like all these smaller organizations that do fantastic work in the community we want to get them on board and we want to give them the tools the confidence and the knowledge to help spread that message for us and also promote local custodians of knowledge of, of beach and surf safety and get communities talking about it as a whole and it just being ingrained as part of you know normal life for them what you're describing is loads of really varied in terms of the kinds of organizations that you're connected in with um, but also that you're working at grassroots level with the community for the lessons that you might have picked up in the years that you can share about how to go about doing that? Yeah, I mean, certainly from from a delivering content and knowledge point of view, what happens if I can't swim? Do I not swim outside of the flags? Um, you know, it's just misconceptions from our point of view and that really helps, is helping us focus on our content and our messaging. Um you know, and and thinking of ways of engaging local communities, how best to get that info out there. Is it through local religious leaders? Is it through family groups? Um, is it targeting parents? Is it looking towards maybe grandparents because they're doing a lot of the caring these days? Um, you know, it's the the simple handing out leaflets has a, a massive part of what we do, but I think we we're now in a place where we can look to expand what we do um, and differ the ways that we deliver those messages, whether it is um, a, a beach program where we, we get people down onto the beach and physically walk them through the dangers and looking at the danger signs, having them had talks to by the, the lifesavers on patrol that day, so you know, those local people that know that beach inside out, or whether we're going into Western Sydney and talking to high school kids which is part of our you know high school program that we're running at the minute they'll get a presentation about beach and surf safety and then we'll follow that up with a practical skill day down in Port Kembla um, we're looking at working with Royal Life Saving who deal with you know the inland waterways the swimming pools because we know that there's a problem there and we're effectively working you know to achieve the same goal so by maybe adding some practical skill-based programs and beach surf safety to their learn to swim programs, you know, there's there's a there's a lot of opportunity, and I think we, you know we're ready and at a place where we can start exploring that now, um, but also exploring the you know, the cultural sensitivity side of it. You know, there might be a reason for for certain groups not wanting to swim in a busy in between the flag area, and that might draw them away from that. Um, you know, we need to be targeting these groups too. We need to give them that education that it, yeah, you know, the, the cultural side of it is there, but the safety side really needs kind of addressing and you know, they, they need that information. They need to learn how to identify a rip current. They need to know why the 
flags are the best place to be. And it is so beautiful that the Australian beach is one of those places where I certainly found that you you meet friends there, people from the local community, you know, the kids will play together, they meet up on the beach, they go to clubs together. And the surf club is often at the centre of those activities and helping to not only like the safety, but also kind of helping people to feel that there is a community feel to the beach. It's very much part of life if you live near the coast or even if you only visit the beach kind of, you know, once every few months. Yeah, um, yeah, spot on. It's, it is massively community generated um, and we know there are gaps as well in, in certain areas. There's a, a fantastic programme and initiative running down at Gary in the minute in the, in the National Park where because of its isolated location, they can sometimes struggle to get patrolling members because there's no, not much housing around there. So what they've done is, is gone out into the, to the local communities, to the people that are visiting that beach at the weekends, you know, um, and looking at those beachgoers to become patrolling members. And especially in Western Sydney, where we know, you know there's a high cold and multicultural areas, we've gone out there and, and we've proactively looked to source members of those communities to become lifesavers at that local beach um, and that's a really great way of moving forward is you know if you pr- come down to the beach um, and you can immediately kind of recognize someone that you you feel familiar and comfortable with it has a great snowball effect of you know getting more people into the community getting more people involved in those clubs so Mike is telling us that having diverse networks and strong relationships is key to getting your message across. But what does the research say about the positive impact of networks, both within and outside the community? It has to do with social capital, which we can understand as a positive product of good quality human interaction. The result of this is that people get along better, the economy grows, and social networks deepen. Iconic institutions like Surf Lifesaving, are significant contributors to social capital as they benefit not only those directly involved, but the whole community. Political scientist Robert D. Putnam breaks down social capital into three features, norms, networks and trust. When it comes to networks, the concepts of bonding and bridging can help us to understand the value of the connections between Surf Lifesaving members and other community groups. While bonding occurs within a group or community, Bridging takes place between different groups or communities. Putnam describes bonding capital as useful for getting by, while bridging capital is essential for getting ahead. This is because bridging provides opportunities to access resources that aren't available in the immediate community. So, now that you have your networks, how do you get your message across? You put those networks to use. As Mike said, partnering with community leaders and consulting with different communities is critical. A recent Nigerian study in community development identified effective communication as an absolute necessity. The study found that the sharing of up-to-date and relevant information empowers members of communities, particularly where community members have opportunities to share their ideas, problems and solutions. So bringing that all together, an important part of social capital is networks. And bridging those networks is essential for effective communication and community development. What are the things that you do to help people feel this sense of comfort and safety with people representing surf life saving? Part of what we do is trying to get people to understand that that red and yellow 
is safe and we know that people might stray away from that there are a lot of flags up on the beach there are a lot of colors it can be quite overwhelming and confusing for people and part of the community education is is trying to get local communities to understand that um but yeah certainly that the red and yellow is the, the national standard and you know quite often seen in many countries around the world and part of our in-depth sort of drilling into the local communities is is finding out whether that's normal from communities in countries that they've come from. Um, certainly telling them that that's the, the standard here. And then, yeah, trying to address any issues that we find along the way that people that misunderstand red and yellow. Because it's kind of like danger, you know, colours really, aren't they? Like that's kind of your natural instinct is, oh, that's a danger sign. Um, and often it's associated with the the black and white as well, which is kind of fairly well recognized as a oh no don't go there or stop doing something so it the the whole kind of feel if you're not and I grew up in the UK you know and and we watched Home and Away for example so like you know and in the UK you often see images of Australian beaches whether it's you know films or you know TV series and that kind of stuff so it's a little bit familiar is that that's part of the education piece to kind of say actually this is a friendly organisation, we're here to help you rather than we're sort of necessarily authoritarian telling you not to do things. Um, the fact that we, you know, it would be quite easy to assume that everybody knows what the red and yellow flags are and that they're there for the purpose of being safe and swim between. But as we, you know, we are dealing at a more local knowledge and these colder multicultural communities mm-hmm. that aren't aware and not lucky enough to maybe grow up by the ocean and that have come here from war-torn countries where beach safety is you know not a priority um yeah it's a it's it's quite uh, amazing and eye-opening you know to people's understanding that maybe the red and yellow flags indicate that it's a private club and it's a private stretch of the beach that you can swim in yeah of course um that you have to be a member of a surf club to go swimming between those flags we know that a lot of tourists and people that don't go down the beach will have no idea you know where to sit where to swim where to get the best coffee, what to do if they, you know, lose the child, if they need first aid, any of the things that could potentially happen at the beach, we want to be that that go-to, that that trusted and safe resource, especially for some people with that come from communities or countries where people in uniforms might be viewed as, you know, not a safe people, as an authoritative figure. We want to break down those barriers and you know, a big part of these presentations and this engagement with the communities is that that red and yellow uniform and other council lifeguards too is is safe, it's approachable and we can be there to help. Does everyone see everything in the same way? And if not, how many messages have been misinterpreted? When your community is responsible for saving lives, it's even more important to make sure that people are, pardon the surf pun, on the same wavelength. Here at The Missing Piece, we often talk about what community members have in common, shared goals, common experiences, or the same geographic location. But the reality is communities are often diverse, and it's especially important to recognise and respect our differences and practise cultural intelligence. A growing body of research points to the benefits of diversity in communities but only if that diversity is well supported. A 2015 study found that diversity gives communities access to a greater variety of perspectives and helps us to find creative solutions to problems. 
However, these researchers recommend that in order to reap the benefits of diversity, communities need to practice cultural intelligence and cultivate a spirit of multiculturalism where all people are valued and respected. This complex thinking increases creativity and innovation, promotes high quality decision making and enhances economic growth. And it means that when we're communicating vital messages, we can make sure that everyone is, well, on the same wavelength. I would imagine to understand from those different community perspectives, there's a lot of conversation, a lot of listening that's involved from New South Wales Surf Life Savings perspective so that you can understand what some of those issues potentially might be or some of the barriers to engaging. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we've done, we've been lucky enough to go to some cultural sensitivity training um, that was really eye-opening and, you know, learning how different cultures and, and countries and, and people from those areas view certain aspects of what we consider as, you know, generally Western, you know, the norm. Um, you know, by understanding that, that helps us deliver the messaging, but it's certainly breaking down the barriers. And, and I think that a lot of groups are appreciative of, of the efforts that, you know, A, we go to as far as our volunteer base goes, that they, you know, really are amazed that so many people give up so much of their time for, you know, such a noble um, noble thing at the weekends and that constant learning and development and training, um, and, you know, that we're looking to, to make these communities that might sometimes feel a little bit isolated. You know, we want to we draw them in and we want to give them that that information and that and that confidence I think is the is the key. I think one of the most lovely things about Australian life is is how much people do want to give to their community. So that volunteering is ingrained in Aussie culture, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that is a really lovely way of people who might be new to the country potentially to become part of the the you know community activities um, or people who might feel that they're not connected in with the community a couple of things I'm really interested in one is kind of how you support that volunteer community because people are giving up their free time to donate to this um, organization and to to doing the jobs that they clearly really enjoy and they love and they want to give back to the community but how do you support that volunteer workforce the kinds of things that you do and is there a kind of um uh, importance placed on how those community members are then welcoming other members of the community as volunteers. Yeah, certainly we wouldn't exist without our incredible volunteer base. Um, we want to make sure that they have they have access to, you know, the best equipment that is possible, the best training, the support, um, you know, con- consistent connection and communication via you know the state office the branches the local clubs and the volunteers themselves you know we're always looking to to engage with the the training and education department um the specifically the member services who do a fantastic job of, of looking after our, our member base um listening to the to the needs and wants of our member base and making them feel you know they have the support to be able to give up their time and do what they do incredibly down at the beach and you know hopefully that that commitment and that that enthusiasm of what they do every weekend then just emanates out into the local community people that might not regularly go down to the beach will will see the fun um you know the the people have down at the clubhouse on the on the patrol it's a very serious issue they're looking at flies but you know you it, it 
it has to be fun too. People are giving up their time. So it extends that big family. And I think that that resonates through visually seeing surf lifesavers in action down at the beach um, and community education, physically being out in local communities at O-Weeks and all of the great things that we do. You know, we want to be seen. We want to be enthusiastic. We want to, you know, deliver our content and our messages with passion. And I think that, is you know one of the pinnacles of, of what we do is is passion and pride in in what you do if community is the car then volunteering is the fuel volunteers keep communities running whether it's a school working bee putting your hand up to coach the basketball team or even fighting bushfires the Australian Bureau of Statistics reports that over 30% of Aussies volunteer with not-for-profit organisations. They worked out that in 2014 alone, over 743 million hours of volunteering had contributed to the community. And that doesn't even include all of that informal volunteering we do in our everyday lives, like helping out a neighbour. In last year's State of the World's Volunteerism Report, the United Nations described volunteering as the thread that binds communities and makes them strong. So a great way to check the strength of your community is to look at just how much time and energy people are willing to put into it, even when it's 5am and the ocean is freezing. And most importantly, like Mike says, it's vital you look after your volunteers because they can't help fuel someone else's car if their own tank is empty. I don't think I've been using the uh, the Surf Lifesavers as much in terms of a useful resource as I could. I'm going to be thinking about questions about coffee and things like that that yep. I can ask next time I'm down at the beach. Yeah, put them to the test. Absolutely. What are some of the uh, most interesting questions that you're aware that people have been asked? Some of it might be around first aid, the, the typical what to do if you're stung blue by bottles. a blue bottle. Yes, course, yeah, yes, can we just put yes. that one to bed that that isn't the best way to, to get rid of that. Okay, it's a good. hot shower, as, Excellent. as yep. hot water as you can stand. Um, you know, busy beaches like Bondi or Manly, it, there's a lot of people down there. And So just to be clear, do not wee on your foot if you get stung by a blue bottle. No. It is a hot shower, that. which is much more pleasant yeah. as a remedy for a blue bottle sting. Absolutely. Good, good. But you would always ask a lifesaver, so go to those guys because they have first aid um, and they will reinforce that point. Excellent. Good. I am so glad that we got that message clearly yeah. out there. Fantastic. Here to help. So I have a couple of last questions for you um, before we wrap up our fantastic conversation. Um, so a question I love to ask everybody is whether they think um, that community building should be part of their job description. But in your case, you have the title community in your um, position. Um, and I'm presuming that's in your job description. But, sh but is it in every single volunteer lifesavers position description? Or do you think it should be if it's not? I think it comes naturally as, you know, people giving up their time to to go down the beach and, and save lives ultimately. I think that's, you know, almost an unwritten prerequisite of of what you would do as a volunteer. I think it's such a, a noble thing to, to be able to do, to to give your time to local communities and be on call to help anyone. It doesn't matter who they are, where they're from, that is your that is your role to be doing that. In my role personally, yes, it is in the title, but I think speaking from experience and you know coming to Australia from a different country, uh, I've gone through some of those um, 
you know, some of those things that people have to do and being welcomed again has kind of made me want to give back as to the community and, and help keep people safe. And I think the more you do it, the more it encourages it, encourages you to do it. And the reaction and the feedback that you get when you go to some of these smaller remote areas or you deliver a presentation to a group of new migrants, you know, the, the, they're so grateful, but yet they're empowered then. You, you've helped actively with that passive flow of beach and surf safety. And I think, yeah, community is everything. So we interview um, lots of different people with lots of different jobs as part of this podcast. I'm very lucky I get to speak to all these different people. Um, And so I love to ask the question um, along the lines of um, if you were going to swap your job for the day to do a different job, um, what knowledge would you take? So my question for you is if you were going to be a choir leader for a day, what uh, knowledge from your community-based work would you take into that role? So yeah, communication, I think if that was my role for the day, we deal a lot with people who do not speak English as their first language and getting vital and life-saving information to those people is a challenge. And I think if you were to go into that role where you're dealing with lots of people having to coordinate something at once and in many parts at different times, I think you know delivering that pre pre-performance messaging would come into a big part of that and I think communication and having just simple and effective messaging and and objectives would definitely play out. That's brilliant thank you so much Mike I feel that I know so much more now about the organization and lots more about the community engagement activities that happen within Surf Lifesaving. I literally had no idea that all of those different things were happening behind the scenes to really, and I love the way that you talked about empowering people to give them the knowledge and the information so that they can enjoy all of the resources that we have and we're very fortunate to share um, here in Australia. So thank you so much for sharing that information today. Thank you for having us. Thanks so much, Mike, for that great conversation. Um, Heaps and heaps of takeaways, but here are my top three. Number one, is your beach there to share? Make sure in your community you're providing a welcoming and inclusive environment in which a variety of people feel like they all belong. Number two, bridge your networks. Tap into those communities around you and share ideas, problems and solutions to gain a deeper understanding and better communication overall. And number three, jump on the same wavelength, grow your cultural intelligence and establish a community built on mutual respect. Thank you for listening to this episode. Make sure you head over and follow me at Rachel Abel on Facebook or Rachel Abel underscore on Twitter. You can find snippets and additional content on the Missing Piece YouTube channel and all other kinds of posts on our Instagram at tmp.podcast. I'm Rachel Abel, Head of Making Friends, and you've been listening to The Missing Piece.